Well, amen. What a great worship set. And I just wanted me to, I, I wanted more, didn't you? Man, that was great stuff. And uh, we have some uh, things to accomplish this morning. And one of the things we want to do at the end of this message, at the end of the service, we want to vote on Jeff Dunson as our new Minister of Evangelism and Missions, which will include community service as well. But right now, I'd like for Jeff and, and Cam to come on up. And what I want them to do is just take a few minutes and just share a little bit about their life. Maybe you had a chance to visit with them before the service this morning as you came in. But I'd like for them to share maybe a little bit of their testimony and journey uh, with you. Well, thank you, Pastor, and good morning, everybody, and thank you for the chance to share a little bit about our story. So I'm originally from Delaware, uh, born and raised in a Christian home in a Baptist church there, and I heard the gospel from an early age in that church and made a profession of faith and was baptized in that church. Uh, my family was very heavily involved in the life of the church and uh, went off to school in South Carolina for college and after a few years there, really sort of began to own my faith, really as my own in a deeper way than I had before. Got very involved in a local Baptist church there in South Carolina. Met Cam there in the uh, college and university ministry of that church. And uh, we were heavily involved in evangelism and mission trips and outreach uh, through that church. And it was during that time there that really felt an unmistakable call from God to quit my secular job and go prepare for full-time ministry. And uh, after about a year of that, we got married. And uh, after a few years of pastoring in South Carolina, God led us to go to Brazil as missionaries with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And that, uh, that started a 21-year journey of working in evangelism and discipleship, church planning and leadership development with Latin Americans and then with Europeans. And during our time in Brazil, we had the amazing privilege of working with six different teams from Cross Life, youth teams, adult teams, uh, who came down and just added so much to our ministry. We saw many people come to faith in Christ, churches, churches planted and strengthened through the ministry of this church, and we just, we loved Cross Life, and we loved coming to your Global Impact Conferences and just getting to know you uh, on a level, and um, for the last three years, we've been serving in England uh, with our youngest son, who's a senior in high school, and uh, God has just made it very clear to us that now is the time to step out of our service with the IMB and step into service here, your approval pending, um, that, uh, and to continue in evangelism and missions uh, alongside of you in a very much more direct way um, so that God will be glorified and so that the sun will never set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. So we're, we're really excited to be here, and uh, we've loved you from a distance for a long time, and we look forward to uh, serving alongside of you and loving you a little more directly uh, immediately alongside of you. So thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff and Cam. Let's give them a round of applause. We're so grateful they're here this weekend, and uh, we're going to be voting on them at the end of the service. But let's take our Bibles. Right now, we want to turn to Joshua, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, beginning with chap in chapter 1, verse, verse 1 here in just a moment. Well, we've had an exciting time, exciting, I think, best news series, and uh, it was just building up and building up. And a couple of weeks ago, we had an invitation where people came forward for rededication, for assurance of salvation. It was a great time. Then last week, 
44 people baptized on this campus, seven also on their baptism Sunday on East Campus, 51 people altogether on baptism Sunday. And so isn't that great? I mean, God was really delivering there and doing something in our midst. But I'm reminded of uh, kind of a mentor of mine, really. Uh, He used to go off and preach these revival meetings, and he said the last sermon he liked to do on most of those was a little sermon entitled, What to Do when the excitement is over. Well, what do you do? Well, you just stay excited, right? Uh, Sure you do. However, we sometimes think, and I don't want you to think, that the Christian life is all based upon one decision. You make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you're born again, then you follow the Lord and be believers' baptism, and that's, that's it. That's all there is to it. No, that begins a journey. The Bible teaches the moment that we're born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of our life and heart. And we're like a newborn baby in Jesus Christ. That baby needs to grow. That baby's on a journey. Maybe many, many, many years that follow that to grow physically and also grow emotionally and mentally as well. Well, it's the same with the Christian life. You are born again, and then you need to grow and expand on your journey with the Lord. Now, sometimes... We can be guilty of presenting the Christian life as being one of of a flat land, like Florida. You know, it's just all flat, you know. Or we can say, oh, no, it's a mountaintop thing. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. If you go to the mountains of North Carolina or Tennessee and you're there on vacation, you will find some high mountain peaks. In fact, you can drive up around those curvy roads and you'll find yourself on the top and there's a lookout place there. But every time there's a mountain, there's a hill, there's also a valley. You can't have the mountains without the valleys. Nobody says, well, I'm going to go up and, you know, and I want to go to the valleys in North Carolina. Nobody, people talk about the mountain peaks of North Carolina, the high points. Well, there are a lot of high points in the Bible, but there are some valleys as well. In Kings, in 1 Kings, it says that our God is not only a God of the hills, but he's also a God of the valleys. As we look at the Christian life and the journey of it, I look at an Old Testament passage because this really is an Old Testament illustration of the Christian life and what God has for us and also the conditions involved as well. I wanna start reading in verse one of chapter one. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now, just to pick up the story, Moses was the guy who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They had been there for years. Now he's leading them out. He led them into the wilderness. And then they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years because they did not obey God at a place called Kadesh Barnea, that you'll read about, you can read about in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. But they didn't obey him there, so therefore they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years. Now it's time to go into the promised land. Moses is dead. Joshua, who had been the assistant for many, many years, now steps up to the plate and has a calling in his own life to lead the people into the promised land. Now, just to give you a little bit of symbolism, in the Old Testament, Egypt is a symbol of the world a symbol of the lost world. They were in slavery. The wilderness wanderings of those 40 years is really a period 
that we would maybe describe as the defeated Christian life. Now, we, what we want to do is cross over the Jordan this morning and get into the victorious Christian life as the uh, symbolism demands here in the book of Joshua. So as we look at this, we understand that as we read through this text, there's so many things right here that really typify our journey as a Christian. And dear friend, this morning, you're born again, Jesus Christ lives in you, you have all the resources you need and all the things that you absolutely have to have in order to live a victorious Christian life. You can live a life of answered prayer. You can live a life that has the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. You can live a life of fulfillment, but we need to understand the journey. So let's understand it together. We look here this morning at the promises, the conditions of those promises, the opposition, preparation, the reward. First of all, notice, beginning in verse 3, there's, a prom there's some promises here. Look with me in verse 3. Every place that you're, the, foot, the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. Now, this land was promised not only to Moses, but it was promised to Abraham many, many, many years before. The Israelites left that, went into Egypt. Now it's time for them to come back. And God promised that to Moses. He says, I'm promising this land to you as well. So I want you to notice there's a property here that they were promised. There's a promise of property. Look in verse four, we can find out the dimensions. It says the wilderness. Well, that's the desert region south and, and uh, also east of there. Mount Hermon, it says, the wilderness of the Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. The land of Lebanon has, uh, of course, Mount Hermon, the highest point, Euphrates River, that's the northeast a, a portion of that. The Great Sea is the Mediterranean Sea, and that's the, the west boundary. So it says here, basically, here is the boundary of this little skinny nation that the whole world is going to be looking at for many, many centuries ahead, many years ahead. And so now we're looking at the property. Well, every step you take, God's going to give that to you. You know, God has given you property. What have we been praying the last year? The prayer of Jabez. And in that prayer, it says, Lord, bless me indeed. Lord, enlarge my border. Now, what are we praying for more land? God, give me a couple of more houses. You know, God, give me uh, some land out here in the desert or whatever. No, we're, we're praying that God would enlarge our influence, enlarge our ministry, not only as a church, but your ministry as well. God wants us to do something to really be a great nation. In fact, the church of Jesus Christ to collectively over millions of people. We're part of that. We're part of that body, that millions of people that are involved. God continues to allow us to involve our influence all over the world, not just in Jerusalem where Christianity started, but also all of Europe, all of Africa, and of course, all of America and the Americas as well. And so God wants to bless you with new territory. Then I want you to see the promise of power in verse five. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. There's a promise here of great power for the nation of Israel. Now we have that power too. Remember, we've been looking at 
the best news. And during that series of messages, I mentioned this verse to you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and into the end of the earth. Now, we explain there, that again, the moment you receive Jesus into your heart, the presence of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, are all represented as you invite God into your heart, and they're represented there by the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm going to give you power, power to live the Christian life. Some of you may be wondering, well, if I give my heart to Jesus, how is my life going to change? Well, your desires are going to change. You will. You, you'll, you're gonna, your desires are just going to change. And you're going to have a new felt power in your life to actually live the Christian life, to, to have prayers answered. But not only that, but to resist temptation. One of the things that um, is a question among many new Christians. Okay, I, I used to live this way. I'm so afraid I'm going to go back to that again. But when the Spirit of God comes upon you, the Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. Your desires really do change. And sometimes it's all of a sudden, some of the desires change gradually because none of us change just completely and character overnight. It, it takes time to grow. That's what we're talking about. A newborn baby, then you grow in Christ. But God gives you the power in the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life and to produce in the Christian life as well. And so let's look more about that. There's a promise here also, not only for power, but for purpose in life. Joshua had a path. I read verses one and two just a few moments ago. Joshua had a path to follow, a purpose in life. And his purpose was, was to take the nation of Israel out of the wilderness, cross over the Jordan into the promised land. God was going to do a miracle in his life, just like Moses. Many of you, I guess, have seen the movie anyway, about how Moses, Charlton Heston, remember, parted the Red Sea. If you haven't seen that movie, you ought to see it. It's really great. And so he parted the Red Sea, and all the Israelites walk over on dry land. This, the same thing was going to happen here, only on the Jordan River. And God was going to show Joshua and the rest of the nation that there was power and purpose in this. Now, you and I have callings in life. In fact, if you are a believer in Christ, you were called to salvation. God drew you with his spirit. We are also called to live a, a life that is honoring to God. We're called to live according to the word of God. We're called to do some kind of ministry and been gifted in that ministry. We've been called to a certain church to do those ministries in. All kinds of callings in our life. And, and some of them are very general. But some of them are very specific. God has a plan for your life. It says it this way in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Romans 1, 1 is a good example of this where Paul says, uh, Paul, the Bible says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. So as God had a plan and a purpose and a calling for the apostle Paul, he has a calling for you as well, a calling in the church, a calling uh, certainly for a, ministry, a specific ministry at a certain time of your life, but also maybe even at your work. Your work is a calling. God has placed you in the marketplace 
in order for you to be the kind of witness that your colleagues around you need. There are callings in life. Now, with all that, there's a promise of production. That's right. You know, you say, well, all I know is I just need to witness and God will take care of the rest. And that is absolutely true. And yet God promises production. Notice with me in some of these, the rest of these verses. Look with me in verse six. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left, that you may uh, have good success wherever you go. So God is wanting us to have success. Now that's the Old Testament term. And I know that you uh, are very familiar maybe with maybe the prosperity gospel. Uh, We don't preach that here. And yet, if you cast your bread upon the water, the Bible says, in whatever area it is, Ecclesiastes tells us that God will bring forth a great harvest. If you plant the harvest, God's going to bring forth the harvest. Now, I know that many, many of us maybe share our faith and nothing ever happens maybe in in our lives just so far. But here is a promise that if we keep going, God is going to give us success. Now, the New Testament uses it this way. It talks about fruitfulness. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. That is glued into the vine. Having a relationship, an active relationship. Neither can you unless you abide in him. I am the vine, Jesus said, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, it's maybe not every day that you produce fruit in your eyes. Maybe there's some patience involved. Maybe you don't always produce fruit all the time in an area that you're not gifted in. But sooner or later, you're going you're to find the fruit. If, there's, if the fruit's not there, something is stopping that up. Something is uh, holding that back in your life. There's something in your life that God is trying to put his finger on to change. Because the promise of God is that if you remain faithful in doing what you need to do, you're going to become fruitful. Well, then there's a promise of his presence. It says uh, in verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It says in verse 9, Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So there's a promise here in the Old Testament of his presence that God would never leave the nation of Israel. Well, just as he was with them, the Bible says he's with us as well. Hebrews 13, 5 in the New Testament says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, 20 teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, when you and I go through trials in life, when we're in those valleys, we do want to know, God, are you going to answer my prayer? We do want to know, God, are are you going to help me bear fruit and get me back on the mountaintop? We want to know those things. We want to know what in the world is God, God, what are you doing? in my life. I mean, why in the world am I going through this? We want to know all that stuff. But the number one thing we want to know, God, are you with me? God, if you're with me, 
I know that your hand is upon everything. God, if you're with me, I know it's going to all work together for my good because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. Romans 8, 28. God, if you're with me, I know I'm going to sense your presence in my life sooner or later. We want to know that. The Bible says God's presence is always with you. Now, you don't always feel that. I had the privilege of uh, coming to the uh, senior adult luncheon this past uh, Thursday at lunch and talk, talk to them about the Holy Land trip that we're going on. And I said, you know, in that, in that trip, there was a, there's always, uh, every trip, there's a place where God just really reveals his presence. The first time I went, it was in the, in the uh, house of Caiaphas, where Jesus well, was, after he was arrested, he was placed in this little dungeon, and we were in that dungeon. Then the next trip, Caiaphas' house, nothing really much happened there. It was fine. But we then went to uh, the place where Pilate tried Jesus, and we knelt right down there on the bricks where Jesus was, and the Holy Spirit again just visited us in a special way. Another trip, it was the Lord's Supper at the Garden Tomb. It's always something different, but I'm saying that there are times in your life when you feel the presence of God, and there are they're precious times. But whether you feel it or not, the promise of God is he's always there. Remember the uh, little uh, story about the footprints in the sand? How, you know, the footprints in the sand, and there's always two of them on the beach. And then, but God, you know, when I'm going through trials in life, I only see one set of footprints. And God says to the person, he says, look, that one set of footprints is mine. Through the trials, I'm carrying you through those difficult times. And I think that's a good way to depict it right there, a great illustration of it. God is always there even when we don't feel him. You say, well, then everything ought to work out just great for me. All I've got to do is get saved, get baptized, uh, come to church, and everything's going to be okay, one decision, right? No, it's a journey. It's a journey as they uh, went over the, uh, into the promised land from the Jordan River, they begin to do battle immediately. There were, there were conditions to it all. I want you to first of all notice those conditions. Again, look with me in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do all that's in it. Boy, there's a condition here. Now, wait a minute. You mean, you, you mean I've got to follow the Bible? Yeah, that's it. That's the condition. You know, so many times, and I don't mean to sit up here and defend God. I don't think he needs anybody to defend him, least, least of all me. But so often in my life, and maybe in your life as well, we start blaming God. Well, God, you promised this, you didn't come through. God, I thought you were going to be, uh, I could sense your presence, and I could have your power, and I could enlarge my territory and, and my influence, and none of this is happening. But notice here, there's a condition to it all, and that is that we follow the Word of God. Now, the law that he talks about here was originally given to Moses way back in the book of Exodus chapter 20. Then, however, right before the book of Joshua and Deuteronomy, he goes over it again. He reviews the law. And so it's natural for the next thing to happen, maybe just a few days later, a few weeks later after Moses has passed away, that he says, look, 
I've given you the law. I've given you my word. Now I want you to follow it. And if you follow in that path, if you don't get out to the right or to the left, out in the wilderness again somewhere, and keep in mind, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? They disobeyed God. They refused to go into the promised land when God wanted them to go. They had refused God's leadership and therefore in the wilderness. What puts us in the wilderness? What puts us out there where we're looking for the presence of God? We're looking for answered prayer. When we're looking for ministry in life, we're just looking for some peace of mind. What happens? Disobedience to the word of God. It says here to meditate on it day and night. Now, this word meditate, and I don't want to gross you out or anything, but really it has the uh, connotation of a cow chewing its cud. It's thinking about it all the time. Regurgitate all over and over again, chewing on it over and over and over again. So I asked yourself the question, what do you think about when there's nothing to think about? What do you think about? What do you meditate on? And, you know, I challenge myself with this. You know, you know, you think about the church, I think about you, think about how, how we can do this in the church and this in the church. I think about the Bulldogs and the Braves, you know, you know, hey, I'm a guy, you know. Some of you guys are thinking about right now. I mean, right now, as I'm trying to preach to you, you're thinking about, man, you know, if, if my team would have done, done this or this or that referee hadn't called that like he did, what do you meditate on day and night? Well, the Bible says, sanctify them in truth, Jesus said. Thy word is truth. Your word is the truth. So how does truth become me? I meditate on it day and night. How do I have that success? I meditate on it day and night. By the way, I think I maybe shared this with you before, but some of y'all are new, and so I'm gonna, I think it's a good illustration but let me ask you this. Oh, now, you've got to participate with me a little bit. The first service, eh, kind of, they kind of drug along a little bit. So you're with me, right? You're going to raise your hand, right? Okay, all right. How many of you would say, thinking about it, articles you've read, the most popular diet in America is today? How many of you would say Weight Watchers? Raise your hand. Anybody? All right. How many of you would say the keto diet? Did I pronounce that right? Whoa, look at all these hands. Uh, how many of you would say the Mediterranean diet? Oh, not too many fans of that one. Kind of yesterday. South Beach. You know, that's where you go down south, around Miami, and eat everything that washes up on the beach. I don't know. Uh, and there's the Atkins diet. Anybody for the Atkins? You know, they, you think, oh, yeah, that's the most popular one. Let me tell you, I'm going to give you the answer to this. And you heard it here. The most popular diet in America is your diet. And my diet. It's the diet of our own making. I mean, after all, who in the world can eat just meat all the time? Nobody. So, I mean, at least not long term. So you take, the, say, the Atkins or the keto diet. You take that and you say, well, I can't live by that. So I'm going to throw in the Mediterranean diet. That's a lot of vegetables. I'll throw that one in. And then don't forget about Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers says, if you just eat small portions, so I'll just eat a small portion of that piece of cake or pie. Half a donut, you know? And I'll just throw that one in. And so we, we throw, well, there's a little Keto, a little Atkins, a little Mediterranean, a little Weight Watchers, throw a little South Beach from Miami, you know, whatever. 
And pretty soon now, I've got a diet, and I can tell you two things about this diet, because I've been on it many times. <laughs> I have. Two things about this diet. One, it's easy to stick to. Man, it's just a snap. I can go out today and stick to this diet. But the second thing I want you to know is unless you exercise 12 hours a day, you're going to gain weight on that diet because they're all designed to do one thing. And if you interfere any, anything in that and add to it or take away from it, it doesn't work. Well, that's the religion that we usually have today. And even Christians, how they look at the Bible. Well, I believe that in the Bible, but I don't know if I believe that one or not. Because that does not uh, really depict the mercy and grace of God quite enough. Or I'll do this, but I'm not going to do that. Or, you know, I'll, I'll follow this path, and I'm good with that. I'm good. But don't, don't ex- I mean, I'll go to church, but don't expect me to read the Bible every day. Praying every day? I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and, I mean... I can't bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and so I won't even try. But I tithe. That counts for something, doesn't it, God? I give 10% of my income. Kind of covers the whole base, doesn't it? No. We pick and choose what we want to do, what we want to obey, and what happens is we get to the end of the day and we say, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? Why didn't you do this for me? You know, everybody else talks about all these victories that they're having. I I'm just not living in victory at all because we're using our own Bible just like we use our own diet. And I can tell you from that using your own Bible, it won't work. It just will not work. At the end of the day, you will not have fruitfulness and success in your life. Well, if that was the only thing that we had to worry about, that's fine. But in this journey of hills and valleys, getting more and more like Jesus Christ every day, there is also opposition involved. It says to be strong and courageous. Why? Why? Does it say that, what, three times in this passage? Because once they entered into the land of Canaan, they began to do battle, the battle of Jericho, the battle of Ai, and over and over and over again, they had to do battle in order to win those victories. And it's in the battle that we grew, they, they grew. And it's in the battle that you and I have as Christians with the opposition of Satan himself that causes us to grow, that we expand and have our strength. It says this this in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What does he do? Well, Genesis 3, we've said this, doubt God's word. Did God really say that? Hmm. Deny God's word. That's the second step. Well, you know, the Greek doesn't really say that. Man, it's amazing to me how many Greek scholars now we have in the church all across America. They're Greek scholars. I said, what Greek word is that? Well, I don't know, but it's, it's in the Greek. Or not in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. Well, what Hebrew word is that? You know, they, they've never taken one course and this stuff, this is just something they've heard. Deny God's word. And then finally just replace it. That's not what God said. God really meant this. Because you've got to bring culture and, and, and the 21st century into the Bible. Same thing. So what does he do? He tempts us. He, he steals the word of God from our heart when we refuse it. 
He brings guilt into our life after we've been forgiven. Some of you have experienced that. He delays answers to prayer, Daniel chapter 10, and he discourages us. We wait, we wait, we wait, and we wait. And one thing that the Christian life is about is patience. It takes a while to go down into the valley, and it takes a while to come back out on the mountaintop. Patience in our life. And so what do we do? Well, we've got to recognize the fact the opposition is coming. Some of you have, for example, toxic, irritating people in your family. I won't ask you to wait, raise your hand on that. Every family has one. Every family has one. And if you don't know who they are, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. And you say, oh, I'm going to go visit them. It's a family reunion. And I know they're going to say this and they're going to say that. Why don't you be prepared for that? Really? You know they're going to irritate you. You know they're going to be toxic to you. So just have a smile on your face. This is how I'm going to respond. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be prepared. Prepared. And that's the fourth thing. General Douglas MacArthur, and I'll have to close here real soon, said one of the things that you have to do in order to win a battle is preparation. Be prepared. Henry Ford said, before anything else, getting ready is the secret to success. So what do you do? You get prepared by being around other Christians, gaining strength in your life. You grow. You, you get through those trials in life, and some of that is just being around other people who have been through it. You read the Bible for yourself. Now, I remember being uh, uh, my first church, in my first church, I was a single pastor. And as soon as I finished preaching, man, I gave it everything I had in that one service that we had. And I knew I was going to go over to Mrs. Wilbanks. And all that group of people are going to be eating a big feast. As a single guy, that's important. Okay? And they let the pastor go first. I'm just saying. Just, just saying. But anyway, I filled up my plate. I, and I thought to myself, man, I don't have to eat for a week, right? No, I had to eat the next day. You see, coming on Sunday is like having the big meal. I put a lot of hours of preparation that you don't have into this message. But what you have to do is eat bite-sized meals through the Word of God every week to stay strong. How would it be if you only ate one meal a week? You would be weak. You would not be prepared for the onslaught of Satan or the, the hills, the, the conditions involved in getting the promises of God in our life. So then, in conclusion, well, let me just say this. Church, you need to come to church. You, you just do. Hebrews 10.25 tells us to. You need to be involved in a small group so you can see how God is working with everyone else and having the fellowship that you need. Without that, you're, you're just not going to understand the hills and the valleys, how to navigate all this, and the journey is going to be tough, tougher than it needs to be. Small groups. But then, I want you to notice here, there's a reward to it all. He says, if you meditate on the, he said, be careful to do all that is written in it, for you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. 
Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Don't be discouraged, he says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Reward, a fulfillment. Rewards like in the New Testament, answers to prayer. Wouldn't you like that? Victory over temptation. Exercising your your talents and abilities filled with faith. It says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Wouldn't you love to have faith and face your problems with faith instead of fear? What about wisdom? Are you fearful of making the wrong decisions? The Bible says in James 1, God's going to give you the wisdom that you need where you don't have to live your life from this moment on in, in regret. That you don't look back five years from now and say, wow, four years ago I should have done this. Because you're going to have the wisdom to do it. The fruit of the Spirit in your life, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control, and finally just fulfillment. Wouldn't you like to have those things? You see, it's more... The Christian life is more than being born again. Now, the, the moment I receive Christ, my ticket is punched, you might say. Free ticket to heaven. That's the best news. I follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I'm testifying to everyone that I really meant that prayer as I received Christ. But boy, there's a great, marvelous journey. And it includes the very presence of God in our life, the very power of God in our life the production that God wants to have in our life. It can be yours. You can do this. You have all the resources you need to do it. So maybe this morning, you want to make that confession to the Lord. You want to say, God, I want want to get inside your will, the calling for my life. Don't even know what that is. But I know I'm called to read the word. I know that I'm called to be a part of a small group in a church, viable member of the church. And I know that I'm called to walk with you and let you take care of the rest. Would you do that today? Would you make that kind of commitment in your heart? And what about those who have never received Christ? Listen, the beginning step is to be born. After you're born, then you you begin to grow. But you've got to be born again first. And you do that by calling on the name of the Lord. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's the prayer of your heart, you want to be saved today. You want Jesus to come in to your heart and your life. Would you pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Help me to walk with you. Help me to be all I can be in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.